Hello, my name is Ron Merring, and I'm presenting on the topic of how to manage risk in health systems. I serve as the Chief Information Security Officer for Texas Health Resources. We are a healthcare system located in North Texas. This presentation will cover a slew of different topics focused on the complexity of healthcare, all the way down through on how we manage uh, discrete risk within healthcare. So with that, I'm gonna go ahead and jump in and get started. So on this slide, I would like to cover the idea of complexity. On the picture on the right-hand side, what you see is a lot of train tracks, wires, a lot of things going on in that slide, in that picture. This is very much the way you might see a healthcare delivery system. And in the following slide, I'm gonna cover that complexity, that organizational complexity. The big takeaway here, what I'd like for you to take away from that south slide, is organization, healthcare organizations are not necessarily what you might think they are. They're not one hospital, they're not one clinic, it's not one surgery center, it's a slew of different legal entities, different people coming together to deliver healthcare delivery services. It's very complex, and the healthcare delivery system cybersecurity program, in many ways, has to figure out how to weed its way through that complexity to protect data and safety. So as I alluded to, healthcare delivery systems are very complex. And there's two words here, the idea of shared risk inside of this first paragraph on the top. All of these entities, these things on the bottom of the slide, all of these different entities, these relationships, it's all based on shared risk. In other words, a Entity A is going to interact with entity B, and there's an implied trust between those entities. That brings around risk, shared risk. And cybersecurity, in many ways, has to recognize that, that relationship. Um, the ecosystem of healthcare is comprised of wholly owned companies, entities, joint ventures, partnerships, and affiliations. There's also a thing called the entity-entity relationship, which I alluded to, and also the identity-to-entity -entity relationship or interaction. Let's go back down to the bottom of the bottom in this, in this picture in the slide, and what you see is a slew of different entity types, hospitals, physician groups, surgery centers, hospice, virtual care hospitals. And on the bottom, you see identities. You see independent physicians. Employed physicians, allied staff, contracted clinical services, employees, and vendors. These identities, these people interact with all of those entity types I have that are sitting on top of them. The holding company, the integrated delivery system, is actually consuming all of these entity types and all of these people in delivering the service of healthcare to patients. And that's what makes it complex because it's not just one hospital, as I, as I said, and it's not one practice. It's all these, these component parts coming together to deliver healthcare. In addition to that, all of these relationships are heavily influenced by federal and state laws. These, these regulations influence the way care is provisioned and the way the interrelationships, way, way a physician can work within a hospital and the way a hospital can work with a physician, the way the holding company, the integrated delivery system can relate to physicians. And there's structures around that, about what, how a company 
is um, how they manage and work with physicians. There's an entire regular whole regulations around that. But all of these pieces and parts have to come together uh, to deliver services uh, to the patient. The cybersecurity program has to account for all of these different relationships and the regulations that influence the relationships. The cybersecurity, once again, this is, as you can see, this is fairly complex. Um, and the cybersecurity program has to match that complexity. Hopefully, it's, hopefully the program isn't complex, but the idea is it has to address that complexity to ensure all of these independent parts are protected and the way they work with each other is protected. Healthcare's increasing attack surface. So a slide I've used for many years, but I think it articulates the problem around attack surfaces pretty well. Healthcare delivery systems and the way they work have lots of old systems, legacy applications that have been around, they just sit around for many years. And, and by the way, there's a reason for that. Many of these applications that we use in healthcare, like a clinical application, is linked to clinical workflows that healthcare staff, clinical staff are very accustomed to using and are very efficient in. So to just change the application and modernize it would uh, disrupt their workflow. It would require training, not just the cost of uplifting the application, just you know buying it, but also the extended cost of, of training people, advancing the workflow, ensuring you're getting the value out of that workflow that the application was helping with. So mobility is big. We have mobility going on in the, actually at the point of care that not only the patients use, but the caregivers use. And we have mobility outside of the healthcare setting, such as in the business operations area, BYOD, things like that. We have consumers that interact with mobile devices to for remote care, virtual care. Third-party cloud services, which is a problem statement in any industry, but we have a lot of applications and infrastructure that's moving toward a more of a cloud-based approach, and this requires appropriate design. And once again, it's more tax service. Merger and acquisition. I heard a good quote from many years ago. I forgot who told me it. Uh, regrettably, I can't quote the individual, but what the individual said, he was a great CIO, so he said, hey, my your next breach is your next merger and acquisition. And I thought that was very, a very telling, <laughs> uh, foretelling, how about that? In that um, merger acquisitions do bring risk and they have to be um, assessed and analyzed accordingly as you integrate them into the healthcare delivery system, just for the, the business purpose, but also from a cybersecurity uh, reason, from the due diligence phases all the way through the integration. Medical devices, which is always, I mean, it's obviously a big topic. You hear about it in the news. It's been worked on for many years, very diligently by many people in the FDA and all uh, within multiple industries, the medical device industry, as well as uh, providers of care. But medical devices in themselves bring attack surface. There's lots of them, by the way, almost equal number of medical devices as other types of systems in the enterprise. Um, it's, it's, there's many medical device types inside of typical healthcare or hospital. There's lots of medical devices along with the rest of the managed assets. There's data proliferation. We have data, not only that proliferates within the healthcare system, but it extends outward to many people because lots of people need this healthcare data to support the provisioning of care. It goes out to billers and insurance companies and uh, data analytics firms population health firms. It goes to lots of different organization types to help manage care. So proliferation, data, lots of data 
uh, going to lots of different places to take care of the patient, more exposure and more attack surface. Internet of Things, just a lot of different device types coming in, old and new, the ones that have been around for a while and that are being connected to the internet, such as like a building control system or things that um, might, might be uh, a consumer-based device that's now interacting with the health records. Um, and so they can get their latest lab results. So lots of internet of things. Consumerism, um, just generally it's, this is about very much you hear about it, it's virtual care, especially through the pandemic, lots of consumerism-based projects <laughs> in that uh, we have more virtual care and just uh, really adapting to what our patients needed in the pandemic condition, it really, by the way, evolved. It probably took people's digital and consumer programs and advanced them by five years uh, just by responding to the pandemic. But these are all things that are creating uh, more attack service for a healthcare delivery system and the cybersecurity program has to adjust to it. Equilibrium and the need for a unified security architecture. And I'll mention this concept of a unified security architecture along the way. Healthcare technology portfolios um, are this is incredibly diverse. We have hundreds of different types of applications and then a slew of other things in a typical hospital. So what you see on the right hand side is I just wrote down, I was just kind of, I just sat down and just started writing down systems. And by all means, this is not all inclusive of everything for sure. What you see here is everything from crit core infrastructure to radiology services and tube systems. And by the way, if you don't know what a tube system is, that's this, they're actually put in when you install a hospital, by the way, they're tubing in the walls of a hospital where you send lab specimens to the lab through a pneumatic tube system. And um, it's very been around forever, but you have elevator control systems, which I met, mentioned before, these systems are built when the hospital's built. <laughs> so the systems that support those things uh, can be equally as, as, as old. And you have cath labs and MRI systems and physical security systems surgical robots, and the list goes on. I'm not gonna go through all of these, but you can kind of get the idea that it's a very diverse set of systems. And the takeaway here, it's about what I call equilibrium. <laughs> In other words, when you're doing um, cybersecurity design and you can't look at one of these items and say, I'm going to do security there. Um, everything is kind of in balance because they're all interconnected. When we design, and I'll going to talk more about this as we go along. When we design, we look at the whole system as in totality when we're designing controls. And it has to do about cascade and benefit. And here's what I'm going to get at. Um, here's, what I'm going to, here's what I'm going to kind of cover here real quick is that let's say I'm going to protect um, a managed computer, a laptop. That's great. Um, but when I do that, because and I, if I look at a threat model and say, um, I have, let's say, I have, let's say I have weak medical devices. By me protecting the managed computer, the laptop that's, let's say, inside of the hospital, I get uh, the medical device gets that benefit of that protection at some level. That doesn't mean we've corrected the problems with the medical device that might have a weak uh, system. It might have, uh, might be missing patches, or um, it might just be old. <laughs> so. Uh, but the, by doing these incremental um, uh, changes to the architecture within the cybersecurity architecture, other platforms in the ecosystem uh, get the benefit. And when I say unified, it's about the program recognizing the benefit and not looking at things in silos, but looking at how uh, one change, one improvement 
can actually have a, a it can cascade that improvement throughout the system based on the threat and the scenario. And I'll talk more about that as we go along. I did want to introduce you to this concept of a unified security architecture. I felt it was important because that's the way when we look at design and healthcare, we're looking at everything in its totality, the systems and what I covered before, how the, org the organizational design of that system, identities and entities and the relationships between those and then how we how the technology interacts with those entities and identities and how they interact with each other. And then we do integrated design. And that's the concept of unified security architecture. In the unified security architecture within healthcare, um, there's this idea of how we have to balance safety, security, and privacy, which you see is kind of a Venn diagram in the middle of all this in the graphic. I'm gonna cover this a little bit more a couple slides later. But the idea is that um, when you make a change, let's say a security change to protect one thing, you can impact another thing. Here is an example, is that you have uh, a medical device and it has protected health information on it. You have a security staff that would like to encrypt that medical device in some level to protect the um, PHI, they wanna encrypt the device. That satisfies the privacy need but it might create a safety problem at that point because uh, it might break the medical device. It could be you want strong passwords on a medical device, let's say on an infusion pump. You wanna integrate it into the rest of the enterprise uh, security features, security stack. And that in itself, if let's say Active Directory or the network becomes unavailable, all of a sudden you could have a problem where maybe the the nurses using that infusion pump no longer can access it. So, but it's also the other way. If you don't do something on the device, you now have to deal with the um, privacy issues or the data loss issues that might come along with that. And very much this is a, a risk equation. So there is that part of it, this balance between safety, security, and privacy that has to be main, maintained. And this is about control design and how you do things in a very integrated way when I say unified architecture, that's kind of what I'm getting at, is that we're doing these things collectively and when we evaluate controls and capabilities um, in the enterprise. You do see these influencing factors that surround safety, security, and privacy, cost containment activities, just sheer complexity of the, of the system itself. You insert a, a design, a new security design. It could have a drastic impact to performance in the enterprise. Could, could really uh, cause a lot of harm in the infrastructure. So you have regulations, accreditation of hospitals and other service lines, resources, knowledge and skills issues, all these things impact and actually have influenced influence this resiliency and reliability, the bookends in that, and then how safety, security, and privacy is balanced. So it's very important that um, when we do design in our enterprise, that we are looking at all three of these areas when we deploy controls and capabilities. As I finish up a kind of a broad overview on, on the idea of kind of this overarching, how we do security, let's say in a healthcare delivery system, I did put uh, a bit of a view on kind of how we're starting. We started this about two years ago, a new pro it's, a pro it's an evolution, <laughs> a programmatic change but how do we get to much, a much more adaptive, agile, healthcare-centered cybersecurity program? 
And what you see here in the graphic is some choices that we made about roughly about two years ago. And we presented our leadership teams with kind of a choice, <laughs> blue and red fill, although that's green. Um, you have the, um, you can have either a proactive and consumer-faced program with a bunch of very positive and probably very difficult to actually execute security principles, or you can have the opposite of that. And of course, I mean, our North, the executives say, well, we want the green, so we want the green. And that's great, but that it, it's in, when you look at some of those bullets on there, manage and quantifiable risk, agile and adaptive security safeguards, a unified resilient architecture, consumer-based security, improved cost transparency, uh, results-oriented and risk-driven. Great words, sound beautiful. <laughs> We're great on the slideshow, by the way. But they're really, really hard. Uh, of course, what do you? If you don't do that, what do you get? Well, if you don't do these things and have a program that wants to drive toward those wonderful bullets, what you get in the opposite of that is on the bottom. And and some of the things that resonated most was this unpredictable cost variance. In other words, you you're con continuously chasing your last incident problems. In other words, the outcome and the root cause analysis and the solutions to to those root cause issues or you're re probably responding to things that are popping up in the news or the industry and making new investments. You're waiting for somebody else to get attacked before you do the next thing. Well, how can you design more proactively um, and have a more um, a program that's much more proactive? And so that was really our, our principles and our executive leadership team agreed on those things and we started on that journey. I only put this up here because I'm gonna come back to it a little bit later on on how we do that. Um, and how we're kind of getting there. Um, it's, it's about a five-year plan, by the way. So it's very long um, and hard to do. And I would, if anybody else is on this journey, probably understands how difficult those principles are. So um, a great quote, one of my favorites and related to security by Thomas Sowell, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. And in the end of the day, that's what happens a lot in the security program. And you could say that happens with almost everything to be very honest, but, I'm going to talk about trade-offs, so I just wanted you to see this quote. For me, it's resonated for many years and, um, and um, has been some of the uh, kind of the principles I've used in design around trade-offs. So when we do control design principles, in other words, how do we bring in a new control to the enterprise? How do we advance that control through new capabilities, whether it's a new process or a technology? We insert this into a performance model, a, essentially a process that helps us evaluate whether or not it's a good idea or a bad idea. And I did put in some bullets on here that I thought might be helpful. Once again, I'm not doing anything here I don't think is unique. These are all things that are done in many different industries. I'm just putting a, bit, a little bit of a healthcare flair on it. So expected risk reduction benefit. In other words, if you're gonna do something, what is the true benefit you're gonna gain? And can you actually put a little bit of math to that or put it in terms that actually you can measure and say, yes, we are getting a benefit. If you're gonna spend a new a million dollars on an anti-phishing platform, let's say, not that those cost that much, what in return is the benefit you're gonna gain out of that? Now, I'm not saying you have to do full quantifiable, quantified assessment, but you should have a way of measuring that, and then we do do that. We we do uh, we do have some measures we use to say how much uh, how much benefit we think we're going to get. 
cost and complexity come into play um, pretty quickly, especially on new solutions. You're, number one, I already talked about the complexity of the ecosystem in general, the technology, the applications, the infrastructure, as well as the organizational design. A security uh, control can influence all of those things pretty quickly in great ways and also really bad ways. And then it has a lot to do with the complexity of the organization. When you deploy something, sometimes you don't find out about that complexity until it rears its head. Um, you deploy a new authentication method and you realize now that some parts of the EHR or radiology systems or lab systems or multi-factor inside of a particular system, something isn't working right anymore. And so you, and that's because of complexity, all these intertwined interconnections just um, don't really play well anymore when you insert security control. You could take an entire population of, of practitioners of, that were practicing just some type, some type of clinical activity in the enterprise. And if you do identity and access management wrong, you could easily uh, break their access if you didn't understand how it was configured and deployed in the organization. So a lot of things have to fold into the program to make good decisions. And what you see there is a trade-off space. And uh, we have a, a model around that. We use a security governance structure and once we use subject matter expertise, experts, Delphi models and or surveys, as well as uh, traditional risk tolerance uh, management to get to where we need to be on a new control and capability. The bottom bullet is probably the most important takeaway is that whenever you deploy a control, a security, a cybersecurity control, ideally you should be creating more friction for the adversary. <laughs> I mean, that seems like a no brainer, but in addition to that, you should probably be reducing friction on the clinical operations. Now you can't always do that, but the idea is that, or the business operations, the idea is that a control should have maybe a, a, a dual benefit, that it benefits not only protection, but also improves maybe accessibility, performance, all those things should kind of come into play when you're doing design. It shouldn't just be one more uh, point of overhead uh, that creates more problems for the delivery of care. On this slide, what I would like to cover is, are we solving the right problem? <laughs> um, let me go ahead and read the story and then uh, we'll talk about it just a little bit. You and a friend are having a picnic by the side of a river. Suddenly you hear a shout from the direction of the water. A child is drowning. Without thinking, you both dive in, grab the child, and swim to shore. Before you can recover, you hear another child cry for help. You and your friend jump back in the river to rescue her as well. Then another struggling child drifts by into sight, and another, and another. The two of you can barely keep up. Suddenly, you see your friend wading out of the water, seeming to leave you alone. You, you ask, where are you going? You demand. Your friend answers, I'm going upstream to tackle the guy who's throwing all of these kids in the water. I hope that that story um, um, is impactful to you as it was for me when I read it, because in cybersecurity, in many cases, we, we, we try and solve for the wrong problems. We, we react to what's happening right now, what's right in front of us, and it's very difficult for us to take the next step to solve the real problem. So how do we tackle that in our healthcare delivery system? I'm gonna talk a little bit about epidemiology. I'm not gonna dive in real deep, but we use the principles of epidemiology 
why we're a healthcare delivery system. And it makes sense because epidemiology is a very, uh, it's a great profession. And by the way, the techniques apply well into the realm of cybersecurity. And I won't go through the definition, but the idea is that we use this technique. And I'm going to kind of talk to you why and how we use it to improve our program. So uh, this approach, this epidemiological approach to cybersecurity, why are we doing it? One, we want to ensure we are solving the right problem and that we're inventorying and tracking real risk uh, populations. So the idea there is that we're grouping populations together, risk populations, and we do this on the healthcare side all the time. We group populations together. We'll talk more about this when you get into stratification. In, in, a, in a couple more slides. But the idea is that we group populations together, common populations could be a common set of medical devices or a common population of identities. It could be, um, um, a it could be medical device plus another technology. We're grouping things together that make sense to group together because they have a common risk profile and we wanna manage that risk profile. And what you see on the right-hand side is Jon Snow, his map of the London epidemic that occurred in 1854 around cholera. And he was one of the first epidemiologists. And what he discovered was essentially the, the disease wasn't coming from the air, it was coming from the water. And that, by the way, back then was a big deal because everyone thought disease existed in the air, it didn't exist in the water. If you could smell it, it was bad, it caused a disease because everything back then didn't smell great. I bring that up, by the way, I recommend the book called Ghost Map. If you, about Jon Snow, it's a wonderful book and it does drive the idea of epidemiology and its use. And once again, I'm gonna talk a little bit more how we actually apply that in practice. So risk stratification, as I move from epidemiology overview, risk stratification, this once again is very much about populations and how we apply risk management techniques to very specific populations. It happens in the patient populations. You could have a population of diabetes patients. And the key around risk stratification is that it's a sliding scale. And depending on the patient and the things around that patient, their environment, um, their, their condition can change. And um, so they have an inherent problem. And then there are things that around them that might exacerbate that problem. Some like cybersecurity. In other words, you have inherent weakness. And there are things around that weakness that change and evolve that can basically create the, um, you can have a risk go up and down. And I'll cover a little bit about that on the following slide. So the way we do this is we stratify our risks. So we identify risk, we identify populations. It could be vendors, assets, and we have a risk state. In other words, a risk, it could be a high risk. Within that risk, we actually start to measure uh, what's happening. In other words, and I'll cover this a little bit later, it's about the risk within the risk. You could have a high risk population, but now you need to measure what is actually happening in that population. And we do that through a continuous monitoring program, through continuous evaluation, continuous testing. And the idea is we want to continually measure what is happening in that specific population, that at risk, that high risk population. So that's the idea behind it. It's about continuous measurement. And then we're also consuming outcomes and incidents. In other words, as we, as each incident is generated in that population, each bad outcome, it could be an audit, an assessment, all these things are influencing the status of that population. And it allows us once to get more granular in what is going on. Otherwise, you end up sitting with a risk, kind of a bubble chart, a stoplight chart that says high risk, 
but you don't really know what's happening within that high risk. Are you, what is actually going on? Has the threats changed and evolved? And it's not about saying, now I have a super high risk. It's about saying that within that high risk, I need to re-stratify it. In other words, you could have high risk and it be healthy. In other words, it's a managed high risk. Diabetes is like that. You could have a very significant case of diabetes, but if you manage it effectively, it could sit in the boundary of at risk and healthy and not be at the chronic state. So, and that's about how you apply um, uh, measures to uh, improve the health of that patient, but in this case, how we handle weakness in the enterprise. And as I said before, healthcare delivery systems are very complex and there is weakness just inherent in the complexity of the enterprise that is very difficult to get rid of. So this is about how do you deal with it? Here's an example risk. And it's hard for me to kind of just throw a bunch of examples in here without, I didn't, cause it's only 50 minutes. I could sit here and just talk about population management around cybersecurity for a few hours. So I'm kind of giving you a very summarized view, but the idea is that here's a slew of medical devices, right? And what I did is I put on the right, and this is all fictional data, by the way, there's a grouping, a population. In this case, let's say it's one manufacturer, it's three device types within underneath that manufacturer. This has three system owners. We have three different people that own these assets. It's across 10 different hospitals. It accounts for four departments across those hospitals. And within there, we're talking about total population of roughly 300 assets. All right. So what you see in the middle of all this is a blocking. Essentially, you have a population of those 300 assets that where there are changes had have occurred. And it could have been based on they maybe weren't these are sitting around and they're not patched or they're in a particular part of the environment that isn't protected real well. We had environmental changes, or maybe they went from, um, these are critical care devices, so maybe it went from where, it was, where the device was being used in one department, and now it's being used in the ICU. The idea is that you want to account for changes that are occurring that, that say now we have a bigger problem. And this is about measuring when those changes occur. It's already set for high risk. We know this whole entire population is a high risk. This is about measuring risk within the risk. And, um, and so that allows leaders to understand, oh my goodness, we actually have a, a, a subset of the population that really needs to have some targeted improvements or compensation placed around it. But so how does this apply these populations, right? What does this look like if we go back up to a higher level that is a very kind of tactical operational level of execution and how we're grouping logically and managing these discrete populations of assets or identities or applications, data, vendors. At a higher level, we do use traditional control frameworks and traditional methods of applying risk management. So we have threat scenarios, threat management, and we use, we are, we have adopt, fully adopted the MITRE ATT&CK framework. It's, integrated within our um, security program throughout, whether it's protection, detection, and response, it's traceable. We use the healthcare industry cybersecurity practices called the HICP, and that's sponsored by, it's an industry consensus set of controls that are very healthcare centered, they're based on hospital size, things like that. And so, and that's all integrated within the NIST CSF, which I'm sure many of you all are familiar with. 
But so we use a traditional model of control management and fully integrated. We also have fully integrated um, policies and our internal policies, standards, cybersecurity capability inventories, and all these things and tailored controls. These things all are emanating from the higher level standards and they get integrated into what we call our enterprise risk domains. This is at a high level. So this is how we approach it at the at the enterprise level, at the enterprise risk level, these are the domains that we see. And what you see on the left is more of an operational view on where you see distinct populations. That's how we manage the risk operationally. Up at the top, you see um, these risk domains. That's how we de depict risk, specific risk in each one of these domains at the enterprise level. So at the executive level, they would essentially see enterprise system risk, medical device and IoT risk, consumer risk, things like that. At the operational level where things are being worked on every day, they're seeing distinct populations such as the EHR or infusion pumps or a patient portal or a specific vendor or a specific joint venture entity. So there's things that are happening at different levels, but the key is, is that you're targeting control tailoring and the execution of, of those capabilities in each one of these domains. They're unique enough, by the way, that we these domains are unique enough that we can have, we have very specific tailored controls and how we handle these areas. That's the reason why we've broken them out like this. So I, I can't talk through all this because we get, we are talking about population management, whether it's epidemiology, risk stratification, risk domains, control domains, um, under what intertwines and flows through all of this is the idea of a high reliability organizational principles. And that's something we do in healthcare delivery. It's a, it's the way our clinical operations work in the, in the healthcare setting, nurses, doctors, they all use high reliability principles. Well, we've adopted those fully in our area. And what I've done here is I've actually kind of taken the traditional high reliability organization principles and I've turned this around a little bit to reflect cybersecurity. And what you see here is a preoccupation with failure. In other words, we believe that any control can fail at any time. And that's the reason why we've adopted things like continuous monitoring, continuous testing, continuous risk management in general, and that's what you see happening here. Reluctance to simplify interpretations. That's the reason why we do deep uh, population management around threats and risk. When, we, when we're pulling apart high-risk populations, it's about not oversimplifying the problem. We want to get down in the weeds and understand really what's going on there, and you can't do that at, an, at a very high abstract level. It gets too diluted and you end up solving the wrong problems pretty quickly. Active observation and situational awareness and engagement of leaders and stakeholders. We involve um, lots of people into the party to help solve problems in the enterprise. Listening to and involving subject matter experts. There are so many people in the enterprise and healthcare delivery system that can actually help solution problems. It's not, it's not a cybersecurity problem until it is. Most of them, are just a complexity problem, an integration problem that needs a cybersecurity um, adaptation. And the subject matter experts can help with that. It's about bringing them along for the ride and, and listening to the experts in the, in the organization. It could be the lowest level engineer who has great ideas. And we wanna find that engineer and bring them in and um, involve them in solutioning. The creation of transparency, trust and accountability this is very much about ensuring that anybody who looks at the program can understand it and feels like they can trust what's happening there and the rules and the standards and the things that the program wants to do. 
and feel accountable to execute the rules within that program independently of somebody running around saying, be accountable. And once again, sharing of cybersecurity best practices is key. We do this often within our cybersecurity program. We share with peers, and I'm attempting to share right now. <laughs> High reliability, control analysis, and effectiveness. This is kind of how the work is getting done. When I talked about epidemiology, and although, which is all great words, risk stratification, I talked about controls and high reliability, but what does that mean in practice? So what I took as a part of our workflow, and I thought I'd just walk you through this just a little bit. So on the left-hand side, what you see is what we call outcomes. And it could be a continuous monitoring outcome. In other words, you were monitoring firewall rules and you saw a rule get applied that shouldn't get applied. Well, what happens? Okay, well, there's a process to engage that is engaged to solution that issue very quickly. And we have risk assessments, audits, incidents. And so the whole idea here is that these, these outcomes are moved into, into our issue management structure where things start to process quickly based on what the problem that issue is. If it's a operational issue, in many cases, those things are just automated and go and they flow right to the stakeholder to fix the operational team to fix, but it's still fed into this cape control and capability analysis process. And the whole idea is that we want to know whenever there's a bad outcome and we want to continuously trend and evaluate whether or not our capabilities are working effectively all the time. And if it did work, great. We want to know that. If it didn't work, um, we want to know that as well. And a great example I tell the team is Think about anti-phishing. You have a variance in anti-phishing programs. You have technologies and there's a variance, variability, in how effective they are. You do have phishing emails that manage to weed their way through um, anti-phishing technologies. Well, we wanna know what those rates are and to track those things to ensure that all the, the extended protections that come along with an anti-phishing program are working well also. And that could be the training program, that could be the uh, anti-malware uh, program, the, of course, the, just the general anti-phishing, uh, um, just protecting email. But you want to know where the breakage is along the way and what worked and what doesn't work and then trend that. And then get deep in the trending to figure out where is that trend emanating from. Is it because it's coming from a trusted third party and those things just happen to work their way through our system because the anti-phishing technology isn't great at looking at third party vendors because they feel like all that email is normal and trusted. So it's, it's very much about getting into deepness. And look, if you involve the quality control programs, you can see very much that capabilities are inventoried. You do a root cause analysis, and then we're updating our control effectiveness ratings. And I'm gonna get into that in just a moment. But what you see around here is how communication and notices go out. If we had capability and control failures, those actually get noted. We actually notify different teams that we've had a, a failure or an effectiveness decline in a particular control area. So they're aware of that. That could very well result in what we call a remediation activities and what ends up onto our remediation ledger, which documents all the fixes that are going on. Doesn't matter if it's an operational task or a project. But the idea is this ledger is inventorying and saying, hey, what work is in progress? What's been fixed? Just like a financial ledger. Essentially, it's a journal entry of remediation actions. But what you see here in the takeaway on this is depth. And because in healthcare, as I alluded to at the start of this, 
It's very much about bringing lots of data to reduce complexity. If you if we didn't do this, and we've done we've not done this in the past. This is relatively new evolution we're going through to really get to dot to really create a really quality a good quality management practice. Is that we would start. Uh, solving the same problems in the same way, the hammer nail analogy, right? That must, that problem, I have a hammer and all those, all problems are a nail and it come, it becomes that way eventually. So this is about getting past that and realizing that you might have to apply specific techniques to problems. All right, just a little bit more. And this is about control effectiveness in general and risk management. I've talked a little bit about the workflow, how we bring in data, it's analyzed by people, and there is some automation that we do within those tasks as I mentioned before on the previous slide. But what you see here on this slide is some of the stuff I'm repeating a little bit, is that you, we have a unified security architecture, at least that's what we're building towards. We have controls and capabilities as a part of that architecture. We're monitoring those activities or those capabilities and controls continuously. We wanna know if they're effective or not. We do have three points that drive effectiveness. It's control maturity, control coverage. In other words, how robust is the actual control across the enterprise or within a system itself? And then inherent effectiveness. So in other words, just at the core of the control, how effective it is, it's more or less the starting point of any control. But we do have control maturity and control coverage. Capabilities are a subset of each one of these areas because really, Control maturity, coverage, and effectiveness implies that there are discrete capabilities involved, a firewall, anti-malware, anti-phishing, anti-spam, and the list goes on. You can go down the big laundry list of technologies, processes that you have in place to manage a control in the enterprise. The key is getting depth and discreteness, very being very discreet in the identification or very deliberate in the identification of the capability and it needs to be distinct. The next point on here is the risk register and the risk universe. So we push everything into a broader risk register. So if treatments are happening, they're landing on the risk register, which is part of the risk universe. The key here is, it's the concept of a risk universe. It's all of the risks that we believe we, that we, we are aware of that are impacting the healthcare delivery system. It's the full population of risk. We update this, by the way, every two years, the risk universe. We do a full baseline assessment and we update our, our universal risk. And this is driven a lot by updated threat scenarios and things like that. The, updating a risk universe is very difficult. Imagine trying to identify all your risk, right? You have to go back and re-baseline all your controls, but we do that. We're actually in the process of our two-year cycle this year. But the risk register is really those things that are actually being worked on and it's adjusting the risk universe. So you would see in the risk universe, traditional high, medium and lows, uh, tolerances that have been, you know, acceptance that's occurred, transfer that's occurred, risk transfer that's occurred. You would see those things within the risk universe, the decisions that are being made to manage risk. This is very much a governance and, and, and risk and traditional enterprise risk view. But what's happening here, and what you hopefully can see in the background of all this, of what's driving those risk ratings. And once again, it's about depth, it's about um, healthcare ecosystem applicability, and making sure the risks that we're identifying are relevant and applicable to the healthcare delivery system. They're not generalized. They are 
we are impacting something very specific and it's tuned in to our organization um, and the way we operate and um, and those things and the technologies that support that our, our organizational construct. So uh, that's kind of the idea behind this flow um, and what's driving it. And once again, it's about depth and it's, it's not about high level kind of putting your thumb up thinking we've got a risk. It's about actually what's actually truly driving uh, the risk equation um, at the at the universe level. But once again, you could go backwards from that risk and see what got you to that risk population very quickly through through our program because um, it emanated from the, that middle quality management practice. It emanated from good population management and the principles I mentioned before and how we dive in deep into a specific areas of the architecture to find out where real weakness exists. All right, that's summarized. That basically ends my presentation. I would like to thank everyone for attending uh, my presentation and I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Hope you all enjoyed that session. Before we hop into our next round, let's take another break. This one's sponsored by our friends at Microsoft. See you in a few.